If you would take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible and need one, there should be a black hardbound Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And Exodus 20 is on page 61 of that, of that Bible. What I want to do is what I have done the last uh, number of weeks, which is to read uh, verses 1 to 17, and then we will focus in on uh, one particular verse this morning. So, Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1, this is what the Spirit of God says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Our Father, we are thankful that you are a speaking God that you have spoken to let us know who you are, how you are at work in the world, what you expect of us. We are thankful for your Spirit who has inspired the words that we have read, and we pray now that that same Spirit would shine a light on the words of your Word that we might understand them and shine a light in our hearts that we might love them and believe them and live according to them. And we ask all of this for the sake and in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We are working our way through the book of Exodus, uh, but having come to the foot of Mount Sinai in chapter 19, we have now slowed down. Uh, to take a look at the Ten Commandments one at a time. Uh, 
We've already looked at the first four that shape our relation and speak to our relationship with God. And now we begin those commandments that speak to our relationships with one another. Jesus summed up these Ten Commandments in that way, didn't He? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first four focus on loving God with heart, soul, and mind. The last six, loving our neighbor as ourselves. And it begins with this fifth commandment in verse 12, honor your father and your mother, which speaks to the most fundamental of all human relationships, at least one of them, that between parents and children in a family. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Bible tells us that that everything was formless and void, and then God set things in order. He separated the the, the light from the darkness and the water from the land and on and on, and then he, He fills the sky with birds, and He fills the land with animals, and He fills the seas with marine life. God orders the natural world, and then He creates human beings, male and female, and assigns them the task of basically keeping the world in order. And then He actually sets humanity itself in order by bringing Adam and Eve together to create a unit that would be the building block of human society, families. Now, today, family actually has an expansive meaning, doesn't it? It doesn't always mean… it doesn't always have a strict meaning. I mean, a sports team can call themselves a family. Uh, A department at work might say they're a family. Uh, maybe a dysfunctional family at work, but, you know, a family all the same. Uh, A group of friends may think of themselves as a family. And it's actually good to have people like that, to have people in your life to care for in meaningful ways and to work together. But in the strictest sense, a family is a group of people who are bound by marriage, by birth, or by adoption. Families, as I said, are the building blocks of society. If you want to destroy a society, destroy the family. If you want to know what the end is of various agendas of today which eat away at the family, it will ultimately erode society. That's what happens. You destroy, you want to destroy the society, you destroy the family. You want to preserve society, preserve the family. You see, a well-ordered society is built on well-ordered families, and the fifth commandment speaks to the family, helps order the family. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, this isn't all that the Bible says about the family, but it's foundational, and so we need to think about it. First, by thinking about the command. Honor your father and your mother. And we'll spend most of our time thinking about this. And what I want to do is actually to meditate on this command by asking four questions. The first is, who is it for? Who is it for? Who's the commandment for? Now, that seems like an easy answer, doesn't it? Why? Why, we know, we know who that's for. That, that's for children. 
Uh, when I first, when, 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 uh, so my mom died when I was five, and four years later, dad remarried. And so when I normally speak of mom, that's who I'm speaking of, my stepmother, mom. When mom started taking us to church, I was about nine years old, and my brother was six. And uh, to put it mildly, we were a handful. And we would go to church, and we actually sat right in front of the church organist, an older man who played the organ, and he would sit right behind us. And uh, if we would get out of order, he would flick the back of our head. Now, he wasn't doing it to hurt us. He was doing it as if to say, settle down and pay attention. And when the fifth commandment comes along in the commandments, it seems that's the kind of thing that we adults do. You know, parents are nudging their children, hey, we're definitely going to church today because you need to hear this. Adults are looking around the auditorium to make sure all the children are getting this. Some are particularly concerned because of the state of today's youth. Look at the rebellion in today's youth. Look at the disrespect in today's youth. Look at the chaos being created in today's youth. Listen to these words. Youth today love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, no respect for older people, and talk nonsense when they should work. They contradict their parents, guzzle their food, lay their legs on the table, tyrannize their elders. Now, some of us are nodding and saying a hearty amen in their hearts. Do you know who said that? Socrates, 400 years before Jesus was born. You see, the whole issue of honoring parents isn't a this-generation issue. It's an every-generation issue. And my guess is those who think it's a this-generation issue have selective memory about their own generation. But even still, the audience is bigger than even that because, I mean, it, it is for children, but it's not only for children. I mean, sure, it's meant to be taught to children. Deuteronomy 6 says that you shall teach these commandments to them diligently. But when the fifth commandment is given by God to Israel, the Lord is not saying to parents, hey, make sure your children understand this. Make sure they know how important it is. That's not the first thing he says. The first thing he's saying is, do this. You. All you adults in the congregation, do this. And yes, make sure that your children understand as well. You see, the fifth commandment is actually for all who have fathers and mothers. And actually, that's every one of us, even if you don't happen to know your parents, even if you no longer live with your parents, even if you've lost a parent or both parents, even if you have a step-parent, even if you've been adopted by your parents. This is for you. It is for me. That's who it's for. But the second question is, what does this mean to honor your father and your mother? Well, the verb honor comes from a Hebrew word that means uh, uh, weighty or heavy. Um, it speaks of something of significance, 
something that is important. It's actually the same verb that's used when we speak of honoring God. It's about recognizing His importance, His significance. Glorifying God is sometimes how it is translated, especially in the Psalms. But the idea when it comes to people is that we recognize the significance of a person. We recognize the significant role that that person has in our lives, that God has placed them there. We consider them important, and so we treat them that way. The Greek equivalent of this verb actually means to place value in some, on someone. So we value them. We count them as important, and we treat them that way. Now, in the Bible, we're actually to honor different kinds of people. We're told to honor the emperor in 1 Peter 2.17. So we're to honor those who are in governing authorities. Within the church, Paul tells Christians to honor those who uh, teach and lead. And in fact, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to honor each other. Romans 12 tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. And you see, friends, the heart that does this, the heart that shows honor, has to be a humble heart. It is a heart that is more concerned to give honor than to receive honor. The heart that is more concerned to give respect rather than receive it. Isn't that where a lot, of, a lot of us get a little mixed up? We get mixed up in this in actually a lot of relationships. It happens with husbands and wives. It happens with friends. Well, you know, I'm not going to be who God wants me to be as a husband until I see her being who she needs to be as a wife or vice versa. Do you know the problem with that? Just a very practical, apart from the disobedience of the whole thing, do you know what the, the, the practical problem is? Nobody will ever change. This is two people at the OK Corral doing this. <laughs> Their whole lives. Nobody's ever going to pull the trigger on obedience. And that's what happens when it comes to showing honor. Oh, well, well, I'll respect him. I'll respect her. I'll respect them when they start showing respect to me. Oh, but friends... We're actually not commanded to receive honor. We're commanded to show it. We let other people take care of whether we're ever honored at all. It's not my life's mission to be honored. In the first place that we're to show this kind of honor, that we're to have this kind of humble heart is in the family. You see, one who, shows proper, one who learns how to properly show honor in the family is more likely to learn to show honor in all of life. It develops a pattern. But beyond the verb, pay attention to the rest. Honor your father and your mother. This is revolutionary. It may not sound revolutionary, but this is revolutionary. In the ancient Near East, the idea that a woman, a mother, 
would receive the same honor as a man, as the father, from the children is foreign to every single culture. You remember what Israel is supposed to be? A holy nation. They're supposed to be set apart. They're supposed to be different. This idea of both honoring father and mother, that is unique. That is different. That is set apart. Now, I think looking at the way things uh, tend to go today, some might say uh, uh, the emphasis is on a different syllable now. Because you just think about the stereotypical Mother's Day sermon, Father's Day sermon, right? What do you do on a Mother's Day sermon? Well, you praise and adore and lift up and love and honor and all these things. What do you do in a Father's Day sermon? You put on your boxing gloves and you beat up every man in the congregation and tell him what a loser he's been. This is the stereotype. This is not what we do, by the way, if you're a guest. <laughs> uh. But the other thing to notice, if you just notice the evolution of sitcoms in our society, there was a time when fa both father and mother were honored, and then there was an evolution to the place where the mother is really the one who's got it together, the honorable one, and the dad is basically a doofus. He's an idiot. He's the guy you laugh at. She's the guy you honor. But we're to honor both father and mother, to value them, to think of them as significant, to recognize them that way, to show them respect. I mean, do it because of the sacrifices that they make to provide and to care. Do it because, because God's given wisdom to them through His Word and through life to help you, to guide you, to, to teach you, to lead you. I still call my dad, my dad's memory is not great about me growing up, but I still, when I bump into some kind of parenting thing that I just hadn't quite... I just need some kind of brainstorm. I'll still call my dad and say, what did you do when? And he says, I don't know, ask your mother. <laughs> and, so, and, and so I say, Andrew, the phone, and I'll ask her. Do it because God made you, made the, them your parents, whether through biology or through adoption. You see, to dishonor them is actually to dishonor the God who gave them to you. Honor your father and your mother. Third question, how? How do I obey it? Well, we obey this command in the same way we obey the Bible generally, in actions, in words, and in attitude. Actions, words, attitude. In actions, honor is expressed in the things that we do. So growing up as children, honor for parents is shown primarily in obedience, to obey and to obey without rolling our eyes, to obey without sighs of disgust, to obey without argument. We obey. Now, of course, it isn't absolute. If mom and dad ask you to do something that's sinful, you must obey God rather than men. So mom and dad, don't ask them to do something that is sinful. Don't ask them to lie. Uh, for you, to your boss or to a neighbor. Don't put them in that position. But even as you grow up, you, you, you still honor more than obedience. You also honor in serving, in doing. Older siblings honor father and mother by helping out when things are going awry with 
younger siblings, volunteering to help in the yard without being asked, volunteering to run errands without being asked. These are ways to honor father and mother. And then even once we're on our own, even as when we're married with children, we still honor through actions. It's not obedience, but it is service. It is making, I mean, even just simple things like making visiting them a priority. Helping them get to the doctor, helping them with projects around the house, serving as a power of attorney when it's needed, opening your home to have them move in so that you can care for them. If they need to be in a facility, making sure the facility is taking care of them in proper ways. These are ideas. This is not an exhaustive list, but we still honor our parents. There's not a line that you cross where honoring mother and father comes to an end. We also honor in words. Honor is expressed in the things that we say. We should actually speak well of our parents. Now listen, there may be struggles that we have in our relationship with our parents. There may be struggles that they are facing or some that they've even brought on themselves, but we speak respectfully about those things. We don't slander them. We don't speak hate-filled words. We let all corrupting talk be put out of our mouths, according to Ephesians 4. Our words reflect... Our words about our parents and to our parents reflect what we think of our parents. So we should speak of them in honorable ways. We should speak to them in honorable ways. And then in attitude. True honor is actually a posture of a heart. You see, it's actually actually really easy and possible to look like you're honoring your parents and to sound like you're honoring your parents. Because you have this hunch that if you will look like you're honoring them and say that you're honoring them and speak in certain ways, maybe you'll get what you want from your parents. Maybe if I just, if I just can keep this up long enough, I'll get that thing that I really want. But you see, it's actually possible to look like you're honoring them and speak like you're honoring them without actually honoring them. God actually had this problem with His people, and He says so in Isaiah 29. This people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. In other words, outward honor isn't enough. It's not complete. It's hollow. It's empty. It's the heart that really matters. So then the question is, are we actually honoring our parents? Are you honoring your father and mother? Am I honoring our father and mother? Are we doing it in our actions. Children, are you seeking to be obedient? Does it matter to you whether you are obedient? Because actually, that's the more troubling thing. Children do obey, but when they disobey, the thing that really I'm concerned to know is, do they care that they disobeyed? Does it matter to them that they have done wrong, not simply in the eyes of mom and dad, but wrong in the eyes of God? Do you honor your parents with your words? Do you speak to them respectfully? Do you speak of them respectfully?
Do you honor your parents in attitude? Is it just a show or is it genuine? Do you just want to look Christian or are you actually being Christian? Even if they are no longer with you, do you honor them? Well, then the fourth question is a question that many people ask when they hear something like this. And that is, what if my parents aren't honorable? You know, some will hear this and say, you know what? This is probably really great for those families that live in a Hallmark Channel kind of world. You know, where everything is great. But you don't know my father. You don't know my mother. The question is really, are there exceptions to this commandment? Are there circumstances that are so difficult, parents who are so difficult, that we can set this command aside? That God says, if things were a bit better, but I understand. Does, is that... Is that possible? Well, it's a really important question. And what it boils down to is this. What determines my obedience to God? Does the nature of my circumstances determine whether I obey God? Or does the nature and character of God determine my obedience? Does my relationship with my parents determine whether I obey this command? Or does my relationship with God determine whether I obey? Now, let's be very clear. As we just look around, the state of the family is not good. There are some very, very difficult circumstances riddled with sin. Places where it is particularly hard and particularly complicated and where you aren't quite sure what obeying this command would look like here. Where it's going to take wisdom from God and counsel from godly friends and prayer to God for help in order to figure that out. No doubt that is true. No doubt you may be thinking of your own circumstance or another circumstance. But as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must live by the conviction that there is no circumstance that permits disobedience. There's no time that I will be forced into disobedience by my circumstances. And that's not just about honoring your parents. In fact, that is a great problem in the whole arena of living as a Christian right now. 
Well, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know my boss. You don't know my children. You don't know my parents. You don't know how hard it is. You don't know my disease. You don't know me. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And very likely, friend, I don't. But do you know who does? The God who spoke these words. The God who is not unaware of your difficulty, unaware of your circumstances. The God who loves to help the weak and the powerless. The, lo- the God who loves to come and to give strength. When you're like King Jehoshaphat saying, I'm clueless and I'm helpless and I don't know what to do, this is where God comes and loves to answer. In your distress, you can cry out to God and He will answer you. You see, in the end, our obedience to the fifth commandment is about our relationship with God. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And the Lord Jesus Christ says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Apostle John that must have just had that stuck in his head because, I mean, he recorded it to begin with. But then it's just stuck in his head as he's writing 1 John. He says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This is what it looks like. You see, whether it's in a marriage or whether it's in a work relationship or whether it's in a friendship or whether it's in conflict or whether it's in the matter of honoring your parents, that which determines whether you should obey is not the other person in this relationship. That which determines whether you obey is God Himself. Who is Lord? Are the circumstances Lord of your life? Will the circumstances save you? Are the circumstances your place to find hope? No, 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 dear friends. It is in the Lord alone. He is the reason we obey. Even if I think, even if I think my parents may not be honorable, even if I struggle to know what this would look like given my circumstance. Honor your father and your mother. The second thing to see here is the promise. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this is the first commandment with a promise. And here it is, the second half of verse 12, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, that sounds like a formula, doesn't it? It's a nice little formula. If I just honor my parents, I'm going to have a long life. There's a pastor who told this story about taking his family uh, to the birthday party of a lady in his congregation who was turning 99 years old. And as they pulled away from the party and were driving home, one of the kids yelled from the back seat, she must have really honored her parents. (laughs) But that's not precisely what this means. We cannot equate a shorter lifespan 
with less obedience or a longer lifespan with more obedience. That is not how God works, as if the things we do force God to give us the length of life we want or force God to give us the kind of life that we want. That's not all of a sudden, who is sovereign in that universe? Who calls the shots in that universe? I do. That's not how this works. The idea of living long like this, though, appears about ten times in the first five books of the Bible. God is repeatedly telling Israel that a life of faithfulness and a life of obedience will result in long life in the land. Now, what land? Well, what we call the promised land. It's the land that God told Moses about back in chapter 3. He describes it as a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, these are pictures of abundance, pictures of blessing. And what it means is that if obedience is a way of life for Israel, if honoring parents is a way of life for them, they will stay in the land. They will live there. They will be blessed there. Living long in the land is a picture of God's blessing resting on His people. But the sad reality is that Israel doesn't obey. They forfeit the blessing. In Ezekiel 22, there's this whole list of sins, and right at the front of it is that father and mother are treated with contempt in you. And then the list goes on, and the result, a few verses later, is, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries. Israel will be taken out of the land, out of the blessing. They can't have a right relationship with God and enjoy His blessing while dishonoring their parents, while disobeying God's commands. And friends, it's just as true today as it was then. Here's the reality. We can't be right with God and dishonor our parents. Every one of the horizontal commands that we are going to see, the, the, the stealing and the killing and the lying and the coveting, all of those horizontal things are rooted in, vertically in our relationship with God. We cannot violate those things and say, well, my relationship with God's fine. It's just my relationship with my wife that's the problem. It's just my relationship uh, with my friend. It's just the fact that I lied. It's just the fact that I stole time. It's just the fact that, you know, this, this, that. No, 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 no. You cannot be right with God and not be right with other human beings. It just doesn't work that way. You can't treat other people any way you want and think, well, I'm right with God at least. That's just not the case. It's impossible to dishonor your parents and honor God at the same time. And as certainly as they disobeyed God and treated their parents wrongly, so do we. Nobody honors their parents 24-7. We are all guilty. Whether you, have, whether you have to look back in your life and just go ahead and travel down memory lane, travel through that childhood, travel through all those teenage years. As I do, I shudder. It wasn't long into my 20s before I went to my parents and, and asked for their forgiveness. And then when my own children became teenagers, I asked for it again. Because I remember who I was. I remember the way I dishonored them. 
All three of those ways that I was supposed to honor them, I didn't. We're all guilty, whether it was many years ago or whether it was just a few minutes ago. Whether it's in your actions or your words or just in the hidden places of your heart, we're all guilty. And because of that, we forfeit the promise given in the fifth commandment. We forfeit God's blessing. We trade in blessing for curse. We trade it for judgment. We trade it for punishment. We trade it for exile from God. And yet, because God is rich in mercy and great in love, He has not left us there. He sends Jesus. And one of the things we see immediately as we look at Jesus' life is that Jesus is our example in this. In Luke chapter 2, it says of Jesus that He went down with them, His parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. He honored His parents. Now, keep in mind, His earthly father, Joseph, is not His biological father. This is His father through adoption. And He honored Him. And then, as Jesus is dying, He honors His mother by making sure that she's taken care of. In John 19, we read, when Jesus saw His mother and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby, He said to His mother, woman, behold your son. Then He said to the disciple, behold your mother. He's entrusting the care of His mother to one He knows will care for her, one He knows will love her, one who will take His place acting as as her son to care for Him. Jesus honors his father and mother. He does what none of us have done and what none of us can do in his actions, in his words, in his attitude. Every moment of every day from start to finish, Jesus is perfect in obedience to the fifth commandment. But Jesus being our example doesn't actually help us all that much. Doesn't it actually just make you feel a bit worse? You're like, that's great. But I can't do that. Well, the thing is, Jesus was not sent merely to be an example. He was meant to be a Savior. He didn't just come to show us how to live. He came to save us from the way we were living. You see, you may be interested to find out, if you don't know already, that in the Old Testament, contempt for your parents, cursing them, dishonoring your parents, received the death penalty. Leviticus 20 says, anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. And some people hear that and they think, why such a severe punishment? I mean, it's just an offhanded comment. I was just harsh with them. I just disobeyed them. It's just so small in my mind. Why would it possibly deserve that? Well, you see, to rebel against the parents that God gives you is to rebel against His order, His authority, His sovereign decisions about your life and your family. And rebelling against the creator of the universe 
deserves death. And Jesus came to save us because that's actually what we all deserve. Not just physical death, eternal death, what the Bible calls second death. And Jesus comes, and on the cross, he takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes the curse for our, all of our obedience, including our dishonoring of our parents. Galatians 3 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Jesus took the curse so that we could receive the blessing. The promise of the fifth commandment, the blessing that is promised there, is ours, not because of our obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience, because Jesus honored His Father and His mother in life, because Jesus honored His heavenly Father by dying in our place. And that blessing is for you, dear friend. It is for all who will turn from their sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will call on Him for mercy, who will call on Him for forgiveness. In that, you will be set free from sin's curse and enter into God's blessing. And there's nothing any of us who are Christians would rather talk to you about than what it means to turn from your sin. And trust in Jesus. Just talk to any one of us. But here's the thing also. The rest of Galatians 3, 14 says, not only do we receive the the blessing of Abraham, but we receive the promised Spirit. God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He dwells in us and He actually empowers us to honor our father and our mother. You see, no matter how bad, no matter how bad you think it is, no matter how bad you think your parents are, I will tell you this, that any home in which we as children are seeking to honor our parents, apart from it glorifying God, it's better for the family. It is. And by the power of the Spirit, not only can you glorify God by honoring your father and your mother, but a kind of temporal blessing can come on the family as you live and walk in obedience. So the question isn't just, are you honoring your father and your mother? Am I honoring my father and my mother? The question is, will you? If you aren't, if you are in a pattern of dishonoring your mother and your father, friend, today is the day to repent of that, to seek God's mercy, to seek your parents' forgiveness because you have sinned against them and to begin walking in a new way. Will you honor your father and your mother?
if you will, God says, blessing will rest on you. Now we're going to pray, and then we will stand and sing the doxology, and then we'll be done for this morning. Father, we come before you, and as we consider this fifth commandment, we think as adults, maybe we think back on our lives as children, as teenagers, maybe we think about our lives right now. We think about how we dishonored our parents in actions and in attitude and in words. And as those who are children who still live in their parents' home, who are still called to honor and obey, we think of reluctant obedience. We think of flat-out disobedience. We think of ways that have we have spoken or thought or acted that have dishonored parents. And God, I pray that you will give us all grace to see these things and to repent of them, knowing that when we repent and come to you, that you will forgive and restore. Give us courage to go to our parents and to seek their forgiveness if we have not. Lord, we certainly want well-ordered families. We would want a well-ordered society. But but above all, we want a rightly ordered relationship with you. We want to glorify you. We want to honor you by honoring our parents. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and we'll sing the doxology together?